right, if you would please open in the Bible, there's a pew Bible in front of you or your own Bible to Ephesians. We're going to look this morning at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, which you'll find on page 977 in the Pew Bible. Ephesians chapter 4, sorry, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. If you would please stand. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you would send your spirit upon us this morning as we open uh, your word to Ephesians chapter 3. We pray that you would open our ears and our hearts and give us grace, Father, that we might hear your word, believe it, obey it. And rejoice in it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, it, was, it was great to visit with uh, Jeff and Jerry. They're moving to be near Carson, not Devon. I want to put Devon's mind at ease. Don't worry. Uh, they're moving to be near Carson and Carista in beautiful Tulsa. And uh, when I was talking to Jeff and Jerry about this morning, and I asked if it'd be all right if we introduced them and prayed for them, and they said yes, Uh, they were willing for us to do that. They don't like to draw a lot of attention to themselves, but for this one Sunday, they were okay with it. And just talking to them about all the years of ministry over decades of serving the church and being a part of the life of our church and all sorts of wonderful ways and uh, got me to thinking about how unusual that is today. Uh, To come and stay a long time at a church is unusual in itself. To come and stay alongside and be willing to participate actively and to get really involved in the life of the church. Well, it's sadly less and less the case. Not many people are willing these days to do that. And I think part of it is because Let's be honest, ministry is really, really, really hard. Uh, it, It impacts your schedule, it impacts your finances, it impacts your energy level. Um, it is really, really hard. Um, it's hard for our elected officers. Let me tell you, we have got 
great officers at Metrocrest. We have a tradition of great officers at Metrocrest. And I can tell you in talking to every single officer I've been able to catch up with, past and present, they all say it's really hard work. Elders, deacons, team leaders, people who are involved in, in ministry at any of those levels will tell you, yes, it is really, really hard work. Um, it, it demands much of us. Um, of course, so much of ministry isn't really church office. It's just living your life as a Christian. And actually, I think that's maybe more exhausting and more demanding to live your life as a Christian at home, at work, at school, among your friends and family members, uh, to have a consistent witness, to be willing to engage people lovingly, sensitively, thoughtfully, uh, yet faithfully, is a challenge. It requires a lot of us. And if you've been here for 20 plus years like the Calvins, or you're relatively new to Metrocrest or relatively new to the Christian life, let me just tell you, we all share this one thing. Ministry is demanding. It's hard work. Well, I think that's the context in which Paul is writing Ephesians chapter 3. In fact, the whole letter, the whole context of, of the letter to the Ephesians is one of understanding how hard ministry can be. The writer of the letter, Paul, knew a lot about how hard ministry can be. He knew about how exhausting it can be. He knew about how demanding it can be. He knew about the reality of persecution, a kind of persecution that honestly I can hardly imagine the things he endured in the course of his ministry. It is very hard work. And Paul knew that for people who cared about him, people he worked with in church, it was hard for them to watch what was happening to him. Partly because they cared about Paul, but also because in Paul they saw a little picture of themselves. Uh, It's just hard not to think, wow, it's so hard for him. And he's an apostle, he's a leader in the church. It's so hard for him. Is it going to be like that for me? Is it going to be that demanding for me? Do I have the energy? Do I have the resources to be able to do that work? And maybe you felt that way at times about your ministry, whether it's elected church office or serving in ministry here at the church or at work, at home, where you are called to take sometimes difficult stands where you have to say and do things that might be uncomfortable to you that maybe your boss doesn't like doesn't understand maybe he really really doesn't like it or she really really doesn't like it and you're left with that ongoing struggle in your own life day to five day to day nine to five um, all week long Uh, whatever your source of exhaustion may be you know ministry is hard work it is full of discouragement at times. It's full of a lack of clarity sometimes where, uh, well, what is my call? What is, what is my vision for what I'm doing? And it demands a lot of effort to keep going while that's being sorted out, while you're learning and experiencing. That, that demands a lot, and uh, that's hard work. Um, it, it can involve burnout, 
ministry can lead to burnout. People can be so overwhelmed by exhaustion and discouragement that they burn out. Yes, ministry is hard work. It, it can lead to exhaustion. So, Paul, to this church in Ephesus that he loved very much, people who were looking at his own life and his own experience, to them he writes a, a word about his prayer. Paul often includes his prayers for the church. Uh, he does it differently. But in this letter, it's, it's quite striking. He does chapters 1 Two in the first half of chapter 3 in which he sort of lays out a powerful picture of the gospel a picture of the, the fullness of what the scriptures teach us about what Jesus has done he proclaims that that is now the basis of our life uh, these are the truths that undergird our faith he lays all that out in beautiful detail using powerful language we've looked over those uh, chapters over the past several weeks. And then in chapter 3, verse 14, he tells us what he's praying. And this morning I'd like for us to look at Paul's prayer for spiritual strength. Because ministry is exhausting. Because ministry is discouraging. Because it's hard to watch people we care about go through hard things. Paul prays for spiritual strength. Strength, And let's look at what he says, verse 14. For this reason, for what reason? For the reason of chapters 1 to 3, because of the gospel that we share, because of the relationship we share, for this reason, Paul says, and notice the language he uses, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. He uses very emotive language doesn't just say, I pray. doesn't even just say, I pray earnestly. He says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Just this little glimpse into this, this oneness of the whole human experience that God is, is not simply related to Abraham and his offspring, but actually, through Adam, all of us have been named. Literally, the, the name of Adam came from God. And, and all human beings of every language, tribe, and nation, we share that connection to God. So every family in heaven on earth is named after the Father that Paul is kneeling before. And he says in verse uh, 16 that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith Paul seeing a church that is familiar with hardship and suffering and exhaustion and discouragement who've seen it in his own life. He says, I bow my knees before the Father in heaven over whom all the peoples of the world are connected. And I pray that according to the riches of his glory, in other words, to the, to the extent of his glory, so full is this picture that Paul is praying for, that it's, to, that, that it's according to the riches of his own glory that he may grant you 
to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Brothers and sisters, you and I need strengthening power. We need the power of God to be able to do the work he's entrusted to us. If we for a moment think we can do it in our own strength, we are grievously mistaken. Paul knew he could not do it in his own strength, and you and I need to understand that we cannot do the ministry entrusted to us in our own strength. And so Paul calls out to the Lord on bended knee, Father, provide them your strengthening power. Give them your own power through your spirit in their inner being. Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, and I believe through Ephesus he prays for you and me, that we would be strengthened for the work entrusted to us by the Spirit of God in our inner being, that we would find strength there for the work entrusted to us, whether it's elected office or being a pastor or or being an active Christian at work or home, to find the strength, the power to do that demanding work Paul prays that God would do it, that he would give them this power. And he defines this power, demonstrates this power in three different ways in this little section. This is part of his prayer. He's praying that they will find strength through Faith. You see this in verse 17a. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul prayed that the church in Ephesus would find strength through deepening, maturing, enriched power that comes through faith in Christ. What is he talking about? Well, He's talking about the Holy Spirit coming in and doing things like applying his word to our hearts. I I pray that every single Sunday when I stand in this pulpit, every preacher who comes here will pray something similar, that the Holy Spirit will apply what we're learning in the Bible, that the Spirit will apply in our hearts, help us to understand it and to apply it. And so Paul's including that kind of thing, that our our faith would grow as the Spirit applies the Word to our hearts. Gives us a desire and eagerness to engage God's Word and to love God's Word. What at one time for us was a dead Word on a page, that that Word would by the power of the Spirit, come alive to us and we, we would be given strength as that Word is applied in our hearts by the Spirit. It also includes the church's life. You know, we learn from each other. We learn as a community under the Bible, under Christ. You and I are actually a community of co-learners. You know, one one of the important purposes of the church is to gather and to encourage and to exhort and even sometimes to rebuke one another in love. That, That the Spirit works through the church to help our faith to grow and mature and deepen. One of the things we do is is we learn from our experience of God's faithfulness. We grow in our faith in God, our faith in Christ, because together we experience God's faithfulness. Over the course of my life, now I look back, I, I talk about this all the time, I share it with you all, I look back on my life and I see 
time after time after time after time after time where God was faithful. He he didn't necessarily do it exactly the way I asked him to do it or wanted him to do it. He did it in the right way, the perfect way, the best way, very often the way I couldn't have even imagined. But he's been faithful to me. And I'll bet as you look back over your life, like me, you will see instance after instance after instance where God has been faithful to us and to you and to your family and to your loved ones. Through hardship, I'm not saying that this faith, this strength uh, is somehow a guarantee that we won't have hardship. On the contrary, the strength gets us through the hardship. God uses these demonstrations of his faithfulness in our lives to give us the strength, the power to endure the hardships that we all face. And if you haven't faced them, I promise you, you will. We face hardships, we face challenges, things we don't understand, things that don't make sense to us. But over time, very often, as we go along and we look over our shoulders, we realize, oh, I, I didn't even think of that that you use this painful experience to expose a need in me or to expose a gift in me or to expose a way I can help other people by the painful experience I went through. That does not explain it completely, but it gives us a glimpse into how God is working for good in all of our lives, including the hardships. The Spirit applies these things that we learn. And helps us to grow in maturing, deepening faith. And that strength makes it possible for us to do the tough work that God has given us to do. We learn it as a church. Uh, Will Grover is going to give a little report on the budget in just a couple of minutes. As I said at the beginning, I hope you'll stick around. Because let me tell you, Will is not just going to be presenting some dry numbers. Uh, I've talked to him about this at great length. and He has quite a story to tell. Because the report he's going to give is not just about dollars and cents on a page. It's about God faithfully working in a church that's been through some tough times, that's faced some challenges, some hardship. We've, we've been through things that we wish we hadn't had to go through. Lots of people sitting in this room have struggled through that and tried to be a faithful Jesus-loving, Jesus-trusting Christian through it all. And what Will's going to give is just one report. It's not the only report, but it's one report, one little glimpse into how faithful God is. And how just the tiniest thing we do is met with his amazing, gracious generosity and faithfulness. In fact, he's at work when we're not at work. So gracious, so faithful, so generous. And we'll, we'll get a little report on that in just a moment. Well, Paul was praying that the church in Ephesus, facing hardship, would find strength through that faith. And it's interesting. He describes this faith in terms, he says, of Jesus dwelling in us. I think what he means is the more we learn to trust the Lord, the more conscious we are of the Lord. I mean, we become aware that everything is connected. 
And that Jesus is involved in all the details of my life. And your life. And our life. Jesus dwells in us. He, he's actually truly like the word Emmanuel says, which the angel said he'd be known as Emmanuel. He really is God with us, dwelling with us, tabernacling with us. And so Paul prays they'd find strength through that deepening, maturing faith. Look at what he says in the second half of verse 17. I'll back up to the beginning, verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul prays for strength through comprehension. Verses 17b through 19. So he certainly prays they would comprehend, I guess you could say, the content of their faith, that they would, they would con- comprehend verse, chapters 1 to 3, for instance. They would comprehend the mystery that has been revealed, this global vision that God has that is challenging work that's hard to do, that we would grow in understanding that work, comprehending the doctrine that undergirds that work, the, the whole teaching of the Scriptures from Genesis through the very end, that we would grow in comprehending the doctrine that we hold to be true. I mean, I think that's one of the strengths of our tradition, one of the strengths of our congregation, is that we take doctrine, knowledge, understanding very, very seriously. Uh, Every week when we gather, like we did today, we do uh, a confession of faith. An opportunity is to pull a truth and set it on the table and gather around it and think about it. Today we talked about the Ten Commandments and the New City uh, Catechism. And and we, we take time to do that, to grow in understanding the truth of the gospel. And that's beautiful and powerful. And certainly part of what Paul is telling us in this section. But you know, interestingly, that is not where he puts his primary emphasis. So he puts his primary emphasis on something that is kind of over that. Look what he says. He says that you being rooted and grounded not in truth. He could have said truth. That truth would have been true. But he doesn't emphasize being rooted and grounded in truth. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and height and depth of the truth. And to know the truth of Christ that surpasses knowledge. All that is true. It's it's part of what he's been teaching us in chapters 1, 2, and 3. The truth, the central faith that we share. But he doesn't say truth. He doesn't say doctrine. He doesn't even say faith. Because alongside faith, Paul prays that they would find strength through comprehension of love. Because it's God's love which rules over and undergirds God's truth. We will not understand God. We will not understand God's truth if we don't come to understand God's 
love. That we see the breadth, the length, the height, the depth in Christ. You see, it's, it's this faith with which we find strength and this comprehension of God's love in which we find strength. We find strength through the comprehension of God's love. It's because we grow in understanding God's love for us, God's love for the world, that we come to find strength to love other people. Because you see, at the heart of all ministry, at the heart of, of all mission, is concern for other people. Uh, whether it's other people in the pews with us or other people across the office from us or across the classroom from us, uh, maybe a, across the house from us, let alone our neighbors and strangers. No, the, the, the focus of mission and ministry and why it requires so much energy is because it requires us to care about someone else. That, ladies and gentlemen, is hard work. It is hard for me to care about someone else. It doesn't come naturally to us. Our concern tends to be me, 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 and maybe my family, my family, my family, maybe my group, my group, my group, maybe even my tribe, my tribe, my tribe. But that's as, about as far as it goes on our own. But Paul's praying that they will find strength for people not like themselves. He's specifically praying that the Jews would come to care about the Gentiles and the Gentiles would come to care about the Jews and that people from radically different ethnic backgrounds and language backgrounds and cultural backgrounds would come to care about each other. Where does the strength to do that come from? It's not simply by memorizing a phrase from the catechism. That can help, but that's not going to do it by itself. No, what moves me to care about you and what moves you to care about me and for us to care about others is God's love. We begin to comprehend slowly but truly over a lifetime. We begin to comprehend, wait a minute. God cares about that so-and-so across the office from me. I don't like that person. I don't want to do anything for that person. But God's love. God reached out to me, as Paul has already said in Ephesians. God reached out to me in my brokenness, my sinfulness, my rebelliousness, my unloveliness. He reached out to me. And as I grow in comprehending his great love in Christ, then I find strength to do what I do not want to do on my own, which is to love other people. You know, um, a little while ago, I heard a criticism about something called the love narrative. That it is possible to become so focused on love that you lose sight, I guess, of anything else. And the love narrative, you've got to be careful about the love narrative. Well, that may be true. I guess it is possible to so distort love that you misunderstand it, miscomprehend it. I think it's one of the reasons he prays we comprehend love. Because love is not always being nice to people. 
Love can mean challenging people. It can mean telling someone what they don't want to hear, what they may hate you for telling them. But I don't think in Christ there's any escaping the true love narrative. I don't don't think you can ever learn so much that you ever get away from needing to understand that over it all is God's love. In fact, it's that love narrative which always pushes us out beyond ourselves to other people. It changes us. It makes us more like Christ. And Paul prays the church in uh, Ephesus would find strength through this comprehension. The truth and God's great love in Jesus. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, as those take root among us, then that's the entryway into amazing things where God does things among us that we simply can't imagine, that defy our ability to to think or to pray or to ask. He, He does things that we don't even dream of doing. He does them through us. Paul knows a lot about that. He prayed for the church in Ephesus to know about that. And my prayer for us as we draw near to our 34th anniversary is that in this season of growth, we would grow in comprehending God's great love. That it would change everything. That it would fill us with passion and a desire to help other people. So strength through faith, strength through this growing comprehension. And finally, in verse 20 and 21, Paul Well, he does something he doesn't often do in in quite this way. He concludes this little section about strength by praising the one to whom he's praying. It's it's a beautiful doxology. It's, It's the kind of thing he often puts at the end of his letters. But here, he puts it smack dab in the middle. He's got some more challenging things to say in chapter in the chapters to come. Chapter 4, he has some some challenging things to say. But here in chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, he focuses in on just praise and worship. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, According to the power at work within us. In other words, in, uh, according to the, to the power of God working within us. He says in verse 21, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's a glorious statement of praise and worship in the middle of an explanation of why we need faith. And where we find faith. Where do we find faith? Where do we find strength and courage? How do we keep going? Keep doing the tough work that he's put in front of us? It's because of what God is like. That we can trust him. That we can can hope in him. We can put our confidence in him. We can lean on him. We can trust him in every way. Verse 21 says it so powerfully. To him be glory to God be glory but it's curious how he puts this he says to God be glory in the church God is glorified 
by his work in you and me in the church. Isn't that a beautiful thing to think about that one of the ways we witness to Christ is by the power of God working in us, helping us to show the love of God to the community, to the world, raising up a bright light for Jesus. It's not a bunch of know-it-alls who who have a theological position and, and a little chip on our shoulder. It's not that. No, we bring glory to God by showing the love of God in the world. And it's his work in us. And it delights him. It delights him for his church to bring him glory. For his church, a bunch of ragtag sinners like you and me, for you and me to bring glory to our creator. To him be glory in the church. And then he says, in the church and in Christ Jesus. Because let us never forget what he has told us over and over and over and over again. As the church, we are Christ in the world today. The way our neighbors see Jesus is through you and me. And if we're poor witnesses and lazy witnesses, exhausted witnesses, unwilling to exert the energy it requires to do the hard work of ministry, then our witness to Jesus is very, very poor and very, very limited. doesn't affect our salvation. It affects the glory that every saved person wants to give Jesus. And it's the church's privilege to bring glory to our Savior by doing his work in the world, by showing his love to the people all around us, the ones we love and like and care about and the ones we don't, especially the ones we don't. Because the world understands caring about yourself and your family and your tribe. The world kind of gets that. But what they don't understand and what brings such glory to Jesus is when the church cares about the unlovely and the marginalized and the people who can't invite us to a fancy dinner party after we throw a fancy dinner party. It's when we're nice to the folks that don't count in the estimation of the world where Jesus' name is lifted up. And so Paul prays that there would be strength with praise because brothers and sisters, As we praise, as we look back and reflect on how good God has been towards us, as we grow in praising him for that, as we grow in looking back on his faithfulness in our own life and the life of our church, as we grow in praising him for those things, then we will find strength more and more and more to encourage one another in this difficult work. So Paul prays that the church would find strength through faith, through comprehension, with growing and deepening and maturing praise. Let us make that our prayer for Metrocrest. And let us, with Paul and with God's people through the ages, praise God through Christ for all that he has done and all that he is doing through us.